It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. On this episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity, we're going to be focusing on another name given to the Bride of Christ in the Song of Solomon. That book, I believe, is the most poetically beautiful book in the Bible. It's full of metaphors and similes and symbolic descriptions of the bride that overflow with the richness of the deep affection, the great love that the heavenly bridegroom feels toward his earthly bride, his eternal bride, made up of all those who have been married to him in a covenant relationship from the old covenant and from the new covenant. Now, I urge you not just to apply these titles as if they're corporate titles that the entire bride of Christ bears, but apply it to yourself personally. Take these statements as if they're personal, loving expressions from the heavenly bridegroom to you. Now, we've already covered what it means to be the Shulamite, which is a name given to the bride in the sixth chapter of the Song of Solomon and it means the peaceful one. And then we studied what it means to be his dove, which overflows with rich symbolism. Now, on this episode, we're going to focus on the fact that he refers to us as his undefiled, which seems on the surface to be an unattainable status, and yet God applies it to his beloved bride. We are his undefiled. Let me take you to the original scripture. It's Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2. The bride is speaking, and she says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. In other words, I'm trapped in a physical body that is asleep to what it really can be, a vessel of the glory of the Almighty God. But my heart is awake. Inside, in my heart of hearts, my spirit man is awake to the fact that I am a son of God. You are sons and daughters of God. We have an inheritance. And what awakens us? The voice of our beloved. The next line says, it is the sound of my beloved that knocks, saying, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew my locks with the drops of the night. And when the bridegroom says that his head is filled with dew and his locks with the drops of the night, I believe it's his way of describing this dark period of the night of the soul of the entire human race. We've walked through this dark place of being in a fallen state, but he's walking among us and the dew of heaven is upon him. He's ready to impart truth to us that will deliver us and bring us into the light. In that verse, he refers to his bride as his undefiled. How can that be? We've all been defiled by sin. We've all been tainted and polluted mentally, emotionally, 
To one degree or another, we've lost our virtue, our integrity. Again, some lesser and others greater. But all of it's sin and all of it is pollution of the soul. All of it is defilement. In Titus chapter 1, verse 15, the scripture says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Well, if there was ever a time in your life when you were unbelieving, you were definitely defiled as well. But even their mind and conscience are defiled, Paul said to Titus. So it's not only the emotional side of your being that is corrupted, but your mind becomes corrupted. Your conscience becomes corrupted by a fallen state. How can God refer to us as his undefiled when this is an indictment against us from our past? Jude chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 says that on some we should have compassion, making a distinction, but others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. What is the garment? It's a dirty robe. It's a dirty covering, a soulish kind of covering. And the Bible talks about our robes being washed in the blood of Jesus and made white. But originally, they were defiled by the flesh. And that's an all-encompassing statement. It's not just some, but all of us are in this horrible situation, this dilemma. What is the cure? Well, thank God there was one born among us who was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And he exists. He ever lives to make intercession for us, the Bible says. Now, if somebody lives for something, you don't have to talk them into it or coerce them into doing it. For instance, some people eat to live and other people live to eat. And if someone is in the latter category, you don't have to hardly even invite them over to dinner. They'll find out the perfect time to knock on your door where it's already spread on the table. And of course, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. Well, if somebody lives for a particular activity or a particular enjoyable thing in life, Again, you don't have to force their hand. They'll go after it passionately. And in Hebrews chapter 7, it says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. It's his passion. It's his consuming desire to stand in the gap. He is not interested in finding something in our lives to cut us off. He's much more interested in finding a way to cut us free. No wonder Hebrews 7.26 says, Such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Because he is undefiled. Again, he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. He was never trapped in darkness. He was never contaminated by the enemy's wiles. And because he lived apart from the contamination of this world, he can impart to us his holy status. And that's why we can claim to be his undefiled. It's an impartation to begin with, and then it needs to become a manifestation. I'll get to that a little later. 
But let's go to the Corinthian church, which gives us a prime example of how this happens. First, I've got a negative scripture. And by negative, I don't mean it's bad. I just mean it, it bluntly explains the problem. First Corinthians 7 verses 9 through 11 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now listen to this closely. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't get any more plain than that. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul went on to say, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's how an impartation of an undefiled status takes place. This was a church comprised of people, many of whom had come out of deep sin, sensuality, rebellion against the truth. And yet, Paul said, you were washed. Washed in what? The Bible talks about us being washed in the blood of Jesus, washed in the name of Jesus, washed in the Spirit of God, and washed in the Word of God. And we wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb, according to the first chapter of the book of Revelation. So all of these things cleanse us. The washing of water by the Word is taking place right now as you listen to this podcast. And then it says, you were washed and you were sanctified. That word sanctified has a double meaning. It means to be cleansed from the defilement of sin, and it means to be set apart unto God for his holy use, his purposes in your life. You were washed, you were sanctified, and out of those experiences of heart is birthed the next statement, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Justified means legally acquitted of all guilt, just as if you never sinned. Washed in the blood of the Lamb, washed in the Word of God, washed in the name of Jesus, washed in the Spirit of God. You're brand new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus, and the new man is created in holiness and true righteousness. That means you become righteous by an impartation, not by struggling religiously to attain it by works. In fact, the scripture says God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So in the sight of heaven, you appear just as righteous as Jesus, the firstborn son. You can't get any more shout-worthy words spoken than that. You should be shouting the praises of God right where you're at. That would have been an impossibility if you had tried to attain it on your own. And that declaration in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 builds up to an even more intense revelation in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2 where Paul says to the Corinthian church, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. Godly jealousy 
is jealousy that has the good of a person at heart. It means you are jealous over them in a pure and righteous way to prevent harm from coming to them. You don't want them distracted and damaged by the things of this world that could lure them away from the purity of a relationship with God. It's a good kind of jealousy. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Now listen to this next part, 1 Corinthians eleven two, For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Did you hear what God just said about you? That in the sight of heaven, every member of the bride of Christ is considered to be completely pure because of the washing of the blood, because of the spiritual rebirth we have all received and the impartation of righteousness that has come to us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. See, you have to hunger for it. You have to thirst for it. You've got to desire it. You've got to long for it. It can't be a religious game that you're playing. But then God said he would fill you with righteousness. That's not something you do. That's something he does. He fills you with his own righteousness. So that in the sight of heaven, you have something I call restored spiritual virginity, as if you were never defiled. Praise God. In the natural, once you lose your virginity, you can never regain it. That's why, young people, if you're listening to me now, you should guard your virtue. Don't allow the spirit of the age to contaminate your mind to lure you over into that trap of sexual immorality that is just running rampant through our culture. No, God wants you virtuous, and he does it for you positionally to begin with. He establishes you positionally in a place of being undefiled. That's why he can call you his love, his dove, his undefiled because he gave you that status by the spiritual cleansing, the supernatural rebirthing that took place when you came into the kingdom of God. Now, in the natural, again, let me repeat, it's impossible once you lose your virginity to regain it. But spiritually speaking, it is a status that you can regain. Maybe you've gone as far away from God as a person can go, but the moment, the precise millisecond that the blood of Jesus touches you, you are sparkling clean in the sight of heaven, a chaste virgin to Christ, undefiled. What a miracle, an absolute miracle. Now, if God gives you positional righteousness, positional holiness by virtue of your position in Christ and the transfer of his status down into your life, as he is, so are we in this world, the Bible says, then now your responsibility is to make it relational and bring it forth as a manifestation in your life. You're undefiled, not just because it's an inherited status, but because it's an intentional walk. Psalm 119 verse 1 says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. 
The word blessed means happy, supremely happy, enriched with benefits, spiritually prosperous, highly favored of God. Listen, if you want to be supremely happy, don't try to compromise in your relationship with God. Don't try to straddle the fence and stay as close to the world as you can and still be saved. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. And of course, the word law is translated from the Hebrew word Torah, which meant the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. But now you could insert the entire Bible in that statement. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the entirety of the Bible in all that applies to us now in the new covenant. And you may say that it's not about commandments anymore. There were 613 commandments in the Torah, but it's not about commandments anymore. Well, yes, it is. There are 1,050 commandments in the New Testament. And if you want the whole list, just go to my website, shreveministries.org or thetruelight.net, either one of them, and shoot me an email and tell me you, you would like to have the list, the full list of 1,050 commandments in the New Testament. And I'll send them to you. That's shreveministries.org or thetruelight.net. And then do your best to walk in the revelation of God's expectations. See, there is something in James 1.27 called pure and undefiled religion. And it went on to say, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world, to be a selfless person, a compassionate person, caring about the underprivileged, caring about those who are going through tough times in life, the orphans, the widows, and keeping yourself untainted so that this world doesn't corrupt you. If you do that, then 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 applies to you gloriously. Listen to it, child of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. If you can claim being among the undefiled, then you can also have an expectation of an inheritance eternally that is undefiled. It cannot be tainted with this world's corruption. Neither once you obtain it, once you enter into it, once you receive it fully, can it be corrupted in the celestial world. Because once you become a glorified, immortal, eternal saint of God, part of his glorious bride without spot and blemish in the heavenly world, you will never backtrack into a fallen state again. The Bible says those that overcome will be like pillars in the temple of God and never go out again. You may have known defilement for a short season, but this light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory that cannot be taken from us now or forevermore. I really urge you to get my book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ, and start using it for a home Bible study, for a nightly devotional yourself, 
or as a study in your church to go chapter by chapter from week to week. Many churches have used it as a midweek service, a time of discovering who we are in Christ and what our inheritance is. It is absolutely a transformational experience to come into this total revelation. It'll change your life in a dramatic way. So order your copy of Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ on shreveministries.org and thetruelight.net. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.